Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast. I'm your host, Curtis Kopotic. And as always, I'm excited to have with me my co-host, Amber Brown. Amber, how are you this morning? I am doing very well, Curtis. Thank you. Just excited for our interview today. Me too. I'm super excited and honored because we have Adrian Lowe with us, and he has had some great experience that is so vital for our understanding about pain science. And something that's really interesting is I view my experience with pain science a lot with my experience with electricity. And I bet you're wondering why. Yes, definitely. Okay. So before I worked with electricity and running wires, it scared me because it's invisible and it can kill you if you don't treat it right. Right, exactly. Uh, But the more you understand it, the less scary it becomes and the more you're able to appreciate it and work with it. And and while the threat is still there, you're able to manage it. And a lot of that applies to what we're going to be talking about with Adrian, about his experience with pain and helping us to be able to get that appreciation for what it is and not have it be such an unknown topic because the less you know about something, the scarier it is. So Adrian is the co-founder and CEO of ISPI, which is the International Spine and Pain Institute. He has earned both an undergraduate degree as well as a master's degree in physiotherapy from the University of Stellenbosch in Cape Town, South Africa. He's an adjunct faculty member at St. Ambrose University, South College, and the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, teaching in pain science. And we're not going to wait any longer. We're going to jump right into this great interview and how his experiences can help every person in that industrial setting understand pain and put it in its proper perspective. Our first question that we think our guests would love for you to answer is, what is the smallest injury that has ever made you cry like a baby? Oh, paper cut. No doubt about it. Actually, no. You know when you cut your fingernails too tight? Oh, that hurts. And then you're mad at yourself because you had full control over it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the biggest one with the grit. I like that. That's good. And that was such a quick answer, too. I mean, there's no thought to that at all. That's great. (laughs) Next question. So what is your relationship with Fit for Work? Our company is one of the partners of Fit for Work. And so people have asked us this for a long time, but Fit for Work fits under an umbrella just like us. You know, I describe it kind of as a we're a three-legged stool. And the stool, if you want to talk about the company, is Confluent Health. And Confluent Health has three legs. One leg is Fit for Work, which is obviously our injury prevention on-site department, if you will. And then there's the clinical side, which Confluent Health has about 220-plus PT clinics all over America. And then the third leg is the educational side. And we work in that part. This is loosely under evidence in motion. And then there's a subcategories of companies, including ISPI, or International Spine and Pain Institute. We're an educational company that teaches pain science for healthcare providers, graduate school, postgraduate. And obviously, so we have providers from Fit for Work that take our courses. We help them with content. We help educate. So we're one of the partners, if you will, but on the education side. So you kind of answered our listeners' questions. Why in the world did Curtis ask him what is this the smallest injury that's made him cry? Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about pain and things. That's why we brought Adrian in. 
Exactly. It's because one of the things that you've been able to set yourself up and your educational side of things is you're really, really interested in what we colloquially call pain science. How would you describe pain science to our clients or employees that are listening, people that have no idea, never heard this before, if you gave them the quick little cliff note response of what it is? Yeah, so I think the easiest answer is, um, you know, in the last 20, 25 years, we have learned so much about pain with the opioid epidemics and all the stuff going on. We have actually done an enormous amount of research on how pain works. And this idea of learning how pain works and then teaching it to people that are providers, the community at large, um, people that are hurting, we often refer to it as the neuroscience of pain, but it's the biological processes that occur in your body naturally when you hurt. We have just found out when people learn more about why they hurt and understand it, they actually do way better for it. And so it's, it's loosely under that term of we've learned a lot about pain in the last 10, 15, 20 years, and we now put a concerted effort out to teach people more about how pain actually works. There hasn't been a lot of this out there, though, to be honest. For many, many years, we tied the health of tissues to pain, and those are two different things, by the way. And why do you think that direct correlation existed for so many years and that people didn't research it further? kind of sounds like, I know for me, I, growing up, that, that was just the common thought process. I'm 36, so I'm not that old, but I still had that same educational mindset of if my tissues are hurt, I'm hurt. And why is it that that wasn't studied further? Yeah, it's, and so Curtis, what happened is, I mean, well, first of all, we always go back to an old model that was taught in 1654 by Rene Descartes. This is the Cartesian model of pain. This is so, so it's a model that was established. Nobody really questioned it at that time, and it made sense. And it's amazing that a lot of our medical interventions, that's rehab included, injections, pharmacology is based on this model. And nobody really tested it until we started getting really into it. So the, the easy way to put it here today is we have always said that when our tissues are bad, we must hurt. And when our tissues are healthy, we cannot hurt. So it created this connection of our, the health of our tissues to pain. Well, we now that we've studied pain way deeper, we now understand that people can hurt even though their tissues look beautiful. By the way, we can also find there are people with some pretty nasty tissues and life is pretty darn good. Once scanning has gotten better, we're scanning people now in the late 90s. We started scanning people with no pain, right? We took a thousand people that got no back pain. We scan them and found some pretty nasty things and go, wow, but they don't hurt. We started becoming more aware that the health of tissues and pain is two different things. And that started challenging the status quo of along with the fact that pain epidemics were increasing. Now, wait a minute. We're doing so much to people's tissues, but they're not getting better. So this, it was like kind of like a perfect storm that developed. And then people said, well, let's learn more about pain and how pain works. And that's kind of where we ended up. I just want to rewind just one second because I think some of our listeners' minds have just been blown, especially if they, if they haven't, <laughs> haven't heard of you or this whole thing before. So you just said that some people have perfectly normal tissues but are in terrible pain, but that there's other people whose tissues just, just look awful once we get them in the MRI scanner or whatever, but, but experience no pain at all. Can you just talk a little bit or kind of rewind and maybe go over that one more time for any of our listeners that haven't heard about this before? 
Yeah, so conventional wisdom has always told us if we scan you and we find we find bad tissues, right? For example, we show that your spine is a little bit older, there's some age changes, or we find some anomalies compared to normal data that we have, then you must hurt. There's no doubt about it. Well, the reality is that people that are listening to this podcast right now, we all do this. We walk in the airport, we sit down and have a drink, and somebody walks by and we look at their mechanics and we go, wow, that guy's got some really bow leg, he's bow legged or he's overpronating, he's walking next to his shoe, he, he walks that much inverted. But when you look at his face, he's, he's happy. And if you happen to even ask him, how are you doing? He's like, I'm great. We see people like this all out there. They're bent over, they're shifted to the left, but they're great. And then on the flip side, we've also seen people that come to medical providers on a daily basis that are in severe pain, they are suicidal. And when we scan them, the x-ray looks good, the MRI looks good, the blood work looks good. And so this has really driven this idea that pain is more complex than just the health of your tissues. It's driven by emotions, by social structure. It's driven by memories. It's driven by so many other things. And they're real. That's the critical part. The point is, another way to look at it, People come to physical therapy as an example, right? Every day for back pain. We know, for example, today that 170,000 people today will come to physical therapy for back pain in the United States on a daily basis. But we spend an incredible amount of time telling them everything we can about their back, but nothing about the thing that brought them, which is pain. So it's again, we've had this focus on the tissues, but not the thing that's bringing them to us, if that makes sense. But we have to understand that tissues and pain are two different things. We can have healthy tissues and really hurt, and we can have not so healthy tissues, and life is pretty darn good. If you don't believe me, go to tailgate. You see some seriously interesting things, and people are having a great time. So they're definitely two different things. And why is it that you think that, or I should say, what is the hardest part to bring people into this new idea that just because let's say I deal with people on a common basis on site where they come to me and they feel like their back pain is so bad they cannot move. But I look at them and I show that they have none of the, what we call red flags or those signs that they need to see a doctor or they have a medical emergency. Everything shows to be muscular. How do you bring about this knowledge to people and say, yes, your back pain hurts, but it's more the muscles being tight as opposed to there being something wrong with your back. You know, your back's not blown up. It's a healthy back from what I see. It's just muscles. How do you bring that model and that mindset of understanding the pain? And that's always the interesting part, right? The human interaction. Well, maybe, Chris, I'm not going to answer it 100% the way you want to, but I think it's important for the listeners to understand that all pain is real. We do some advanced research where we scan people's brains with brain scanners when they have pain, and we do some really cool stuff with that. But we've never scanned fake pain. And I think when I hear a patient really try and convince me, but I really hurt, that's what I hear. They want to be validated. And so if I was a provider, the first thing I would best definitely tell them is, listen, I hear you. Are you hurting? Absolutely, you're hurting. No doubt about it. So we validate them. I want you to understand that this idea of, let's call it fake pain, it's a very, very hard thing to prove. And by the way, there's a saying in medicine, if you have to prove you're sick, you'll never get healthy. And it, it pains me, actually, that people are walking into hospitals and doctor's offices on a daily basis trying to prove they hurt. The neuroscience would tell us that there are so many other 
processes going on. So back to your question, when somebody says they're really hurting, the first thing I would do is to tell them, I absolutely hear what you're saying. Are you hurting? Yes, you are. Now let's talk about why you're hurting. And we will basically start peeling layers away. Why do you think you hurt? Well, I blew out my back. Well, let's talk about that. What do you mean by that? So we just slowly deconstruct this. And with listening, empathy, respect, we can restructure how they think. You say, you know what, I've looked at your back and based on this it's probably not this, but it can be this. But through the whole story, there's the I'm listening to you. I agree with you. I'm here for you, if, if that makes any sense. The pain is real. It's just for other reasons. And we can then bring it in. For example, stress. We know that stress drives pain immensely. The biology is very, very interesting. And we can then talk about the fact that did you hurt your back? Sure you did. But now you're stressed about it and you're nervous. How will I pay my bills? Will I have to take time off work? How will I take care of my family? We can then bring in the stress story that shows them how stress can drive pain for them as an example. And I love your example, how bringing in other parts of the context to realizing and teaching them how complex it is. I know there was one individual I worked with who he never had knee pain, but after through a lot of trials that he had in his own life of, you know, family members passing, his knees started hurting. He gets scanned and his doctor said, well, your knee is terrible. He was so worried that his knee has been horrible for all these years, but, and that's what I was trying to frame for him, but it can be a difficult challenge. So it seems like people get more afraid depending on the language they hear from the medical provider or even from other people. So can you talk to us about these words that harm versus words that heal that we should be aware of? Yeah. So unfortunately, medicine has a really bad track record about scaring the living daylights out of people. Um, In this model of bad tissues, we have come up with some of the most haunting words you can imagine. Tear, ripped, rupture, bulge, herniate. We have these horrible words and we have tested it where we've taken people in pain and present these words to them. And lo and behold, it shouldn't surprise the audience listening that their stress went up, their fear went up, their anxiety went up. And by the way, it makes them less willing to move. And what we have found out is that very often these words do not match the actual description of what happened to them. We have actually found out that if we hammer on somebody, what's your pain, what's your pain, what's your pain, what's your pain, their pain goes up because they're focusing on it and the whole brain gets busier with that thought. Where on the flip side, if we take these concepts, did you hurt yourself? Sure. But instead of tear and rip, we talk about a sprain. We talk about a strain. We have tested it. It's softer. It's still the implication you did get an injury. There is some inflammation. Tissues do heal, but it's taking that edge, the sharp, the fear out of it. And and since I'm here, Curtis, I, I think it's also important for the audience to understand in 1993, one of the world's leading scientists made a an amazing statement. And we all need to remember it. And he said, the fear of pain is worse than pain itself. And so when we encounter people on a line that's working and that they just got hurt, they often have so much fear that the fear actually supersedes the actual pain. And the fear can be driven by words, by what we say, etc. And so this neuroscience stuff about softening the words, making sense out of what scans tell us and cannot tell us, all aim to decrease fear and to reassure them they're going to be okay. There are people that hurt their back, but they do okay. Life goes on, right? That's the idea behind a lot of this is to reduce the fear that goes with it. Along that same lines, for any of our clients or hope to be clients or safety people, not necessarily anybody trained in the medical field, but somebody that an employee would come to to report something that happened at work, how would you 
advise them to speak with that employee regarding the injury that they're reporting. And I understand there's, there's politics and there's, there's structure inside, Amber, but I, I always start with the idea of validating people. I hear what you're saying. This is what happened. Thank you for telling me. Validating them um, versus having them to, let's say again, prove that I hurt, but then say, okay, tell me what happened. Let's talk about it. Um, and then, you know, um, trying to soften the words when you say, you know, I blew out my back and say, okay, we wouldn't use that word again. I wouldn't, as I interview, talk to somebody, say, well, let's talk about your blown back. Let's talk about your blown back. Let's talk about your blown back. But, you know, we will soften the words, say, let's talk about your back that's hurting. Did you hurt your back? Sure, you did. There's a deliberate process of not repeating these words. There's a deliberate process of softening the words. But also underneath it is the, I still want to know what What's going on? What brings you here? What can I do for you? I know it doesn't make a lot of sense on a podcast like this, but it's the idea that if somebody comes in and they have these catastrophic language, like I said, listening to them, validate them, and then understanding what's going on. And then it it, it sounds really bad what I'm going to say, but it's kind of like the old talk him off the ledge kind of idea. You know, like it's going to be okay. I've been the onsite manager for five years. I've seen many people with back pain like you. I'm sure it's hurting right now, but we know that if we keep doing some stuff, we can get you better, etc. Like I said, just talking them off this catastrophic, woe is me, life is over. I just hurt my back. I'll never walk again kind of ideas that we often hear or see. I don't know if that helps, but... but No, definitely. Just the validating part. I think that is something that, that people needed to hear. So that was that was perfect. Thank you. Yeah. And by the way, just, just for what it's worth, if I was going to go work tomorrow at a big factory or whatever, I don't know if people know this, but the most powerful words in medicine has been studied. And they have shown that the words, you're going to be okay... Um, spoken by a physician to a patient, maybe the most powerful words ever spoken. It's been tested, by the way. So again, if I was a supervisor on a line and somebody came to me and said, you know, I think I just hurt my back. First of all, tell me what's going on. I hear what you're saying. But then anecdotally being able to tell them, you're going to be okay. We'll take care of you. We'll help you. And let's have a look what's going on. But it's kind of this filtering the idea that you're going to be okay. And by the way, you're not lying because we know it. The studies have shown us that when people hurt their back today, 90% of people get better without any therapy. They get better and they just get motion is lotion. Let's work through this. The, the data is very powerful. So you're not placating them or, or it's a fib or whatever. The, the, the data is clear. Every person listening to this podcast right now has hurt their back and laid low for a day or two, walked a little bit extra, drank a little bit of extra fluid, kept moving a little bit. And guess what? Ta-da! Here we are. Life is good. It's okay to tell people you're going to be okay and we'll help you. That's why we're here. If you've ever felt the need to make changes to reduce injuries at your company, but you aren't sure where to start, head over to our website, www.wellworkforce.com and click on the connect with us button. Partnering with Fit for Work will provide on-site early intervention, industrial ergonomic experts, employee testing and safety compliance, all helping you make the changes that your individual company needs. Now back to our interview with Adrian. Well, I love that message of helping them understand that and using personal experiences as well, because to let them know that this is a normal human experience as opposed to a, you're the only one who's going through this or the only one who has gone through it. And the only other person I ever known who's go through it, oh, well, the, they had to lay in bed and, and that mentality. Because I know when I was growing up, another thing that I remember was I would hear these stories of, oh, Uncle Jim hurt his back and now he's out of work for six months. And 
I don't think so many people know anymore that that's not the medical procedure or they've realized that's not what gets success. So this message that they can change, that they no longer have to follow that model of healthcare, that they need to get up and get moving. What is it that is so powerful about motion in relation to injury? Why is it so important to get people moving? We have a saying, motion is lotion. And if you think think physiologically, blood flow, oxygen, we have some good research to show when you hurt yourself, your nerves, your body's nervous system works like an alarm system. It ramps up and basically signals danger. Ding, 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 go get some help. We've now shown that when we take nerves that become a little bit more sensitive. So for example, you roll your ankle, right? Did you hurt your tissues? Sure you did. Tissues get injured when we roll our ankles. But the nerves around our ankle kind of ramp up and sends a signal danger, danger, go get some help. We've now shown that when we pump blood and oxygen around nerves, they beautifully calm down. And you know what, Curtis, I think back to the old days when I was studying in school. It's late night, you're cramming for an exam, you're tired, you're irritable, but you still have to study. The best thing was to stand up and go for a bike ride or go for a run or swim or whatever, and you come back all refreshed and ready to study another three or four hours. It's that concept that when we pump blood and oxygen, the nervous system calms down. It changes changes the chemistry of the brain. It changes so many positive things. There's so many benefits to it. It gets our internal chemistry going. We know that our endogenous chemicals, the chemicals we produce, and by the way, for the listeners that don't understand that concept, what you need to understand today is the most powerful pharmacy on the planet is inside of you. Our brain actually produces chemicals that can calm down pain better than anything in the emergency room today. Think about it. As we're having this podcast, there's a far in nowhere, you know, Iowa today, putting up a fence. And in the field, his arm gets cut off by an auger. In a split second, the brain produces chemicals to shut down the pain so he can pay attention and, and put a tourniquet on his arm and then drive to the ER. Or a soldier that gets shot on a battlefield feels nothing until they get to a safe area. We now know that movement exercise, movement, blood flow, oxygen gets those chemicals going again, which means that it actually helps pain better than probably most things we've ever studied. That gets me really excited for the future of medicine. <laughs> just, just listening to you there and having everybody just moving into this frame of thinking and, and just think of how much more our world's going to be moving, hopefully, you know, in the next 20 and 30 years when we realize what our brain actually is holding on to. That's, that's pretty exciting for me. And for, for, for that type of chemical, as an example, so what is a chemical that we can produce so much greater than what the pharmacies can even give us legally? I, I've heard this about, uh, about morphine, that our body can create way more than they can even give us in the ER. So why is it that they even give us those additional things in the ER? What do you think is the reason for that? Well, it's easy. If you show up at the emergency room and you're hurting, they need to do something to help you, right? They cannot just tell you, well, go for a run. <laughs> it's okay. I need us, we need to understand that these medicines have a time and a place. I mean, if I break my leg right now and I have to go to the emergency room, I sure as heck hope they give me a little bit of you know, morphine or something to calm the pain so I can deal with things. But what concerns us often is not the one time, it's the repeated use of these medications. It was just last week at a big opioid summit in, in Los Angeles. And if you get a tooth pulled this afternoon, 
take that hydrocodone or whatever they give you, that's okay. But it's the long-term use of these drugs that concern us immensely because what happens is our pharmacy starts figuring out, hey, somebody else is giving the drug so I can stop. And that's what scares us because now the system actually gets more sensitive. So I don't want, Curtis, for us to sit here today and go, the podcast shouldn't be bad medicine or bad doctors. There's a time and a place for drugs. But we always preface it by saying skillful delivery, meaning the right meds at the right time for the right condition for the right amount of time by a skilled provider. But as soon as we can get your pain under control, then we can taper it off so you can do your own stuff. But what's important is we got to teach you all the other stuff. Going back to Amber's point about she's excited about the future, well, we have now studied For example, there are 22 different things that we in rehab every day, physical therapy, occupational therapy, chiropractic, athletic training that we do every day that turns the brain chemistry on. Movement's only one of them. This includes sleep, nutrition, relaxation, meditation, mindful. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So the idea would be let's give you the drug to get you to calm down and then build the other part of the equation to get you back to where you need to be. Oh, and that's just so powerful too. And I hope I'm not coming across as medicine's bad because I've used it myself and I, I'm appreciative. And I think sometimes there's that wage, there's that war that can be waged where people are either medicine is completely evil or they're the only solution. And so to help people realize that there's a balance of the two, that there's not, no just one right answer and that if morphine was great in that moment, but you don't need it for the next five years to function. And if you do, there's something that needs to change. With that movement, it sounds like they are able to gain more confidence. I mean, it's like a, I have you know my grandfather, he had hip replacement and he was up and moving like that day. They want them moving to get over these, what used to be, you know, have people lay down. So that's great that that's one of those things that you talk about. What do you find are some of the other ones that are powerful in helping people get over their pain? We have actually studied it, to be quite honest. Of the 22 different things, we have done some statistical calculations, and um, they're all cool, by the way, but there's four that stand out. We call them the kind of the four pillars, and we always tell healthcare providers, if somebody comes to your office with pain and you can get these four things set in motion, you're going to make somebody better. And I know it sounds very arrogant saying that, but it's been studied quite extensively. So the first one is movement, right? If we can get you moving, get blood flow, oxygen through your body, that's that's a big positive. Every healthcare provider that may happen to listen to this would know that if I can just get somebody moving, I'm already halfway there. Number two is sleep. Curtis, Amber, the research on sleep is mind-boggling. Um, we can talk about sleep probably for days on end, but the bottom line is there are so many chemicals things that become out of balance when we don't sleep and so many natural processes restore when we sleep and we're talking about deep meaningful sleep so we take people through sleep hygiene basically a process of teaching them how to sleep again if you will and then there's a process of doing that number three is what we call pain neuroscience education People need to fundamentally understand what's going on with them. I I have said this at seminars many, many times. The most dangerous brain in the world is a brain that doesn't know what's going on because the brain will make up its own reality. You see a doctor, you see a therapist, you see the chiropractor, you see the massage therapist. And before you know it, based on little pieces of information, the brain goes, it must be this. And so a fundamental part is we need to make people understand why they hurt and what they can do for it. And then the fourth one, which is also critical, is goal setting. Or in a simple terminology, you got to get a reason to get out of bed. 
So we set specific goals to get people back to work, get them back on the assembly line or whatever that may be. And if those four things are in place, chance of making somebody better is drastically improved in, in their recovery. Well, and that's comforting to know. So when I tell people that I bet in three weeks, you won't even feel this, but guess what? In about three days, you can start getting back on the line. I, just that mindset alone is enough for people to feel confident that they have a goal and a mindset, that it's not just saying, oh, well, you should get better eventually. That can actually be a really a detriment to them to not have an understanding of normal healing process. Yeah. And, and just be careful though. Because, I mean, it, it's this all sounds so... I idealistic and easy there's a lot of very deep beliefs out there yeah but you don't understand it i have a bulging disc you don't understand it the doctor said it's the worst back he's seen i just need our listeners to also understand there's a very powerful biomedical bad tissue world out that fuels these beliefs and so every healthcare provider that's probably listening right now or any worker on an assembly line is, has to deal with this stuff knows this is a case and we have swung the pendulum very heavy to the one way I know it sounds good, you're going to be okay, this will get better, but our world is so pumped with these nasty, horrible stuff. It's every day it goes out. So sorry, I don't want to be the negative guy here today, but let's just have a healthy understanding that there's a real war out there. No, and it can kind of feel overwhelming trying to combat that and trying to to face that. So I think it's a very powerful example is even just how kids are raised. I know that the cutest thing that ever happened to me was my my two-year-olds, when he fell, I teach my other children a lot of these things that, oh, well, does it hurt? Yes, but I don't see anything wrong with you. And even my two-year-old, when he falls, sometimes he'll mouth, oh, okay, <laughs> and get up and continue to run. And, and I think that we can educate people to separate the severe pain with injury, even at an earlier age. So Curtis, then I have a question for you. Why do little kids fall down you know, can somehow with mom and dad just patting them on the back saying, you're going to be okay, go play with your friends, get on with their life. And why do we as adults not do it? And it's easy. We have been sculpted by environment. This is what I'm trying to get to is we are now so indoctrinated by society that bad tissues mean pain. Or if you scrape your knee, it's a bad thing. It's just so cool for me to watch a little kid when they do fall down. Well, A, what they do is they look at mom and dad. If mom and dad, you know, is laughing and having a good time, like you're going to be okay. They just run off and play with their friends. If mom and dad freaks out, guess what? They freak out. And so it's, it, there's something very precious to observe here. If you just look at a little toddler, how they hurt and what they do about it. I mean, even the mom or the dad that takes care of them, they listen to them, they inspect them, they look at the thing, they pat them on the back, they tell them soothing words, you're going to be okay, it will get better. And then they kind of stroke their back a little bit, a little bit of treatment, and then say, hey, go play with your friends, which is social interaction again. It's almost like if we took this model of how you work with a two or three-year-old and put it back into where it's supposed to be, would be in better shape. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking of as far as even just some of our, our listeners, as far as on-site people, you know, just think that you're there as the parents and you can pat somebody on the back and say, you're, you know, you're doing a good job and, and things like that. So that was a great analogy. Thank you. Yeah. Just remember, if you freak out, they freak out. Yo, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I always say, if you freak out, they freak out. So just stay calm and relax. And I mean, obviously, unless it's a gruesome, horrible injury, um, still stay calm, but get some help, no doubt. Well, I think just one example I wanted to bring up with my oldest son, I have three boys and so they get hurt a lot. But one of the things I've noticed is that there was one time when my, when my oldest, 
he stopped running with his friends and he was limping. And that's when I took him in to get an x-ray and come to find out one of the bones in his foot hadn't developed and as well as the others. And it basically collapsed. And so he broke one of the bones in his foot just from growing, but he still continued to play. And I think there can be that concern of people that what if something is hurt? If pain is not the only indicator that there's an injury, what else can people be on the lookout for to know the difference between am I injured or am I just having some hyperactive pain? Yeah, and that's always the tough one, right? It's, it's We don't want to swing the pendulum again so far. Somebody walks in with a complete femur fracture and go, oh, you're going to be fine. You know, just walk it off. Obviously, we're, talk, we're talking about that. It's that balance, right? So so what I always tell the healthcare providers or I would even tell shift managers, what are, A, listen so we can make sure we're not missing something, right? If somebody comes in and tells me, you know, I, I fell down, I hurt myself, I'm in a lot of pain. By the way, I cannot sleep at night. Um, the pain is throbbing. My foot is swollen. I'm obviously listening, and there's enough warning signs to tell me, whoa, this could be bad. So we, we don't just placate people by saying, it's, it's okay, your nerves are sensitive, you're going to be okay. So we, do, we have due diligence with listen. We do due diligence with examination, so we check a few things. Let me sh- raise your arm. Let's see. Let's raise your arm. Let's check it. Show me your leg. So we inspect and check those. Then we do know, Curtis, that tissues heal with or without therapy even. I mean, if you roll your ankle today and you just kind of lay low for a day to move it around a little bit, you know, whatever, it'll get better, right? But pain that doesn't get better, those are some warning signs. So we're like, okay, wait a minute. You hurt yourself on Monday. It should be better in a few days. If it's not getting better, that's for me a warning sign. Come back. Let's have a look at it. So we do due diligence by examining, questioning, asking, following up. And also there's a little bit of research on the type of pain. If it's more severe, acute type of pain versus dull aches and throbs kind of stuff. But I I wouldn't worry too much because that's a little bit tricky on how people express what they feel. It's even different for cultures. But I would say if you've told me a story and there was nothing that got me worried, number two, that includes, by the way, the mechanism of injury. Number two, I examined you, just quickly looked at, hey, let's have a look at your back. Let's see you move a little bit. And then if it doesn't respond the way we think it should in a reasonable amount of time, those are some significant flags for me to say, you know, let's have a look at this or let's get the scan or let's get the doctor involved if we need be. Definitely. Well, and the good news is, is after he stopped you know, limping and then I took checkpoint tenderness, we took him to the doctor that day and Lo and behold, he had those issues. So it's it's great that you can do simple things that it doesn't have to be uh, this long, drawn-out process. Just checking basic function is a great way to know how severe things can be. And unfortunately, I, I wish we had more time with you, We but we would love to have you again. We're trying to keep these episodes a little more digestible at these moments. So is there any final tidbit or take-home message you would give regarding pain to our listeners? Yeah, I think the easy one is just pain that is understood is not to be feared. The more people know what's going on, the better off they will be. And if we freak out, they freak out. So that's probably the best way. And and motion is lotion, right? Keep it moving. Perfect parting words. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today, Adrian. You're welcome. I got to say, Amber, I love talking with and listening to Adrian speak. He makes such a a complex subject seem so simple. And I know for me, I feel like I understand it after listening to him. And then I try to teach it to others. And I realize how much knowledge he has. It's kind of like when you want to feel like you know something, 
teach it, and that will let you know how much you really know. Exactly. Just in us trying to come together to to get this conclusion for you guys. Our heads are just are a little bit spinning on this one. Exactly. So I will always defer to the master and say, take this opportunity. That he's, Adrian has some amazing YouTube videos where he breaks down pain and in a understandable, easy way. And the more we understand it, the less scary it becomes. Just like your electricity situation. Exactly. You know, it, it's pain is invisible to us, but as long as it's understood, it's not as scary and that helps dramatically. So what, what's some of your biggest takeaways from it? I guess, you know, the, the thing that I want, would want our listeners to take away, whether you're a fit for work provider, one of our clients, a safety person on site, or even a mom and dad with a kid in soccer, or, you know, some kind of sport would be like you talked about pain is real. It's very complex. And in that regard, Adrian talked a little bit about words that harm versus words that heal. So when you've got somebody coming up to you in pain, whether it's something that has just happened, a chronic pain type of a situation, just remember to treat those people with respect, validate that you understand that their pain is real, but don't try and one up them and say, you know, your uncle's brother's cousin had, you know, ankle pain and their leg fell off, you know, or something like that. It's, <laughs> right. it's only going to make the situation scarier, possibly ramp up this person's pain. Just do whatever you can to calm them, validate them about the pain, and then assess on how you're going to get care for this person. So I think that that would be a takeaway point for anyone listening. You don't have to be a medical provider. Like I said, you can be a, a mom or dad with a, a kid at soccer practice. Or just a supervisor working on the line with, exactly. the, with your employees that we need to take the opportunity. So strongly encourage everybody to look up more of Adrian's videos and work. He's a wonderful man and I'm so appreciative of the time he took to be with us. Oh my gosh, yes. He's so busy. <laughs> he is extremely busy, and the fact that he spent time with us was wonderful, so we appreciate him. So if you want to look up his work on YouTube, great videos, great information. So I just want to thank all of you for listening to today's episode, and we are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please visit our website at wellworkforce.com or email us, podcast at wellworkforce.com with any questions or comments. And remember, prevention improves lives. 